this message in our fellowship together today. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bible this morning to Matthew's Gospel, the 8th chapter. Matthew chapter 8. And in this 8th chapter, as we sometimes read in the Gospels, Jesus is doing some traveling with his disciples. In this case, they have entered into a ship, which they seem to do quite often. You know, that was the mode of transportation. Um, If not by foot, then they were gathering in these ships. And, you know, some of us, maybe some of you here also, have had the great, wonderful opportunity to visit Israel and the Sea of Galilee, and it's fascinating in terms of its location and settled in the midst of these mountains that surround it. And boy, when a, when a storm comes upon the Sea of Galilee, it's, uh, it's very unique. You know, we used, I, I, I would read about the storms that the disciples would find themselves in from time to time in the scriptures, in the Gospels. But it wasn't until we went to Israel and we stayed in one of the hotels next to the Sea of Galilee and a storm, one of those storms came down over the mountains and came upon the sea. And I was fascinated because the seas looked much like the seas of the Atlantic or the Pacific when there is a great storm that has approached those seas. It looked the same. I mean, I always had the idea, the impression that the Sea of Galilee, you know, was kind of like just a, you know, just like a sea. I don't know, just like a little pond, a bigger pond. But, you know, I don't know. I I just didn't think that it was. But these storms that would come upon Sea of Galilee were incredible. I remember standing on the shore and just watching the waves kick up and thinking to myself, you would never in your right mind want to be out on a boat in a storm like that. So often, that's where the disciples found themselves with Jesus. And here in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23, it says, When he entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. The disciples came to him. They awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're perishing. He said unto them, Why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But when the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? This morning, think about the question Jesus asked his disciples. Why? Are you so fearful? And is it possible that you and I could be living in the 21st century in an age when fear abounds? Is it possible that God can, in the midst of it, make us brave? The answer is yes. I think in order for us to understand the question that Jesus asked his disciples, which is, why are you so fearful? It's important that we ask ourselves this question. Why are we so afraid? 
Why are we living in a culture of fear? I mean, it was just a little over a week ago that the, the word started to come forth out of Paris. And we began to hear some of the terrible things that had happened in that great city. And isn't it true that every new day that we're alive on the planet seems to bring some fresh new reasons for fearing? Just every day you wake up. I mean, since we heard of the events that took place in Paris, now we are hearing high alerts in Brussels and Belgium. Terror on the rise there. Just this morning, George, on the way up here, was informing me that there is a a terror alert in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. It seems like every day when we go to New York City, when we're driving up there to minister to the athletes, we're hearing, you know, that Friday night I was in New York, the terror alert was through the roof. High alert. I mean, there were, you know, military personnel walking around Madison Square Garden with automatic weapons. It's just everywhere. It abounds. And in our lives, practically speaking, oh, it may not be Al-Qaeda camp next door. It may not be ISIS, you know, in close proximity, but maybe it's something like layoffs at work that cause fear. A questionable, very questionable economy. The Middle East, a nuclear Iran, global warming, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Ebola victims, terrorism, the plague of our day, terrorism. Do you ever notice what word it begins with? Terror. Think about it. It abounds. And then fear begins to abound. We can fear retirement. (laughs) You know, I never even, that word was so foreign to me. It seemed like so long ago. I mean, you know, when I heard people talk about retirement, I thought, what is that? And now I'm starting to think about it. Retirement. You know, when you hear the the financial analyst, will you have enough money to retire? Will you be 85 working at McDonald's? I mean, these are the kinds of things you start to think about, right? We fear going to the doctor. The doctor sees something. I see a mole there that's rather strange. We'll have to take a closer look at that. We fear the sound of the clock ticking ever closer to the grave. (laughs) And people say, it's true. We are living in a a fear-driven society. And, and, And they say, we need more security. We need a stronger military. Yet at the same time, I want you to think about this. I read this recently, that we depend upon mood-altering drugs more than any other generation in history. Wow. Ordinary children today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 1950s. And it's true. My granddaughter came up to me the other day. She's only eight years old. And I said, you know, we're going to be going up to New England to see our families at Christmas, and I'm so excited about it, I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to stop on the way up, and we're going to go to New York, and we're going to see a game, and then we're going to go the next, you know, that night we're going to leave. And she said, well, no, we can't go to New York. I said, what do you mean we can't go? And he goes, we can't. I said, why? She goes, terrorists. She's eight years old. And I heard her say recently, will they come here? Will they come to our school? Young people are asking these kinds of questions today. What a world we live in. You know, fear has one great goal. It has one great objective, and this is what it is. It wants to come into our hearts and take over. 
and move out peace. Tell happiness to take a hike. Show confidence the door and say, you can leave now. And remind mercy to book a flight. There's no more place for you. That's the nature of fear. It just doesn't want to touch us on the periphery of our hearts. It wants to move in. It wants to take over. It wants to set up shop. It wants to make a home in our hearts and in our minds. It's like fear is like the big bully in the high school hall that you didn't want to go near, right? Don't confront it because if you do, it will cost you. That's the nature of fear. Paralyze faith. Keep you from stepping into the Jordan River so that you can move forward and begin to proclaim that God has given you something, His promises. For the children of Israel, they had to step into the Jordan River on their way to inherit the promised land, to receive it as a gift from God. And the devil says, I don't want God's people moving forward in that fashion. I want them to be paralyzed by fear. Fear simply wants to kind of lead us all into a prison, if you will, and then slam the door behind us and say, that's where I want you to live for the rest of your lives. Jesus, you know, the, the disciple, he, he, Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? <laughs> you can almost imagine the disciples are saying, are you kidding? Are you serious? Are you really asking us that question, why we're so afraid? I mean, we don't know what's gotten into you, Jesus. You're down below deck and you're sleeping, but we're perishing. And you're asking us, why are we so afraid? The answer is no, he's not kidding. He wants to know why the disciples were so afraid. He wants to know why we sometimes are so filled with fear. The Bible says in this eighth chapter of Matthew's gospel, it says it was a great storm. But you've got to remember, this was no spring shower. Okay, It wasn't just a, a downpour. This is a storm that brought great winds and white caps and gave the impression that the disciples indeed would perish. The Bible says, listen to this, the great storm, the tempest, it's the Greek word seismos. Now think about that. You've heard that word before. That means a quake, a trembling, an eruption of the sea in the sky. A seismologist is someone who studies earthquakes. A seismograph is something that measures earthquakes. This word, think about this, this word seismos was used only two other times in the New Testament. Once when Jesus died on the cross at Calvary and again at his resurrection when the graveyard shook. Now what is God trying to say through this seismos? It was a quake when Jesus defeated sin on the cross. There was a quake when Jesus defeated death at the tomb. And now there is a quake when Jesus silences fear on the sea. That's amazing. It's God's way of sending a message to those who would be fear-filled in this world that we live in. And that is, I am greater than any fear that you will ever come across in your life. And yes, Bravery is an option. An older translation of this passage says that suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. In other words, one minute the disciples were in the boat and they were playing trivial pursuit. Just having a good old time. 
And the next minute, wow, they were drinking water from the Sea of Galilee. That's how it happened. That's how quick. Has that ever happened in your life? Have things ever turned on a dime, so to speak? I mean, where one moment the sun is shining, things are going great, it's all going your way, the money is in the bank, and the car is filled with gasoline, the children are okay, and then the next moment, boom, seismos, a quake. And your children have lost their minds, and you're going to toss yours in with it as well. And the car is on the fritz, right? And, and everything in life begins to be turned upside down. That happens sometimes, what? Suddenly, without any notice. I wish, I, I've often said to the Lord, Lord, it would be so great if you could just send a little advance notice. You know, in, back in the day, we would say, Lord, send me a telegram. Today, we'd say, Lord, send me an email. You know, just an email that says, hey, next few days, you know, put your seatbelt on, spiritually speaking. Things are going to get rough. Things are going to be tough. There's going to be some real nasty things happening, and I just want to prepare you. Then we can prepare ourselves. We can be ready. We'll be on guard. We'll be alert. We'll be spiritually, you know, confessed up to date, ready to go, ready to face the challenge. But God doesn't send those kind of notices, does he? He doesn't. Suddenly. And I love this. Now, and, and just think about this connection. This is a fascinating connection. What does the Bible say? It says that this, Jesus got into the boat. And the disciples followed him, okay? And then notice this connection between Jesus getting into the boat and then what? A great storm arose on the lake. Wow. Sometimes as Christians, we would think, no, 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 no. It's not supposed to happen that way. It should be Jesus gets into the boat, we follow him, and then there's a beautiful rainbow. And we all stand on the edge of the boat saying, how lovely life is with Jesus. Or a flock of doves flying over the boat. God symbolizing peace forever with you and me in the boat. Maybe a calm, glass-like sea. Yeah, that, that's, that sounds more like what it means to walk with Jesus. <laughs> no. Listen, getting in the boat with Jesus means getting soaked with Jesus. That's what it means. What does the scripture say in John's gospel, chapter 16? Jesus gave us this as a promise. We don't like to quote this promise. We like to quote, quote rather the, the more glorious, the, the more edifying promises that build us up. But listen, here's a promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say in the world you might have it or you may have it or it's possible. He said you will have tribulation. I've discovered, you know, following Jesus means you're getting in the boat with him and there will be storms and there will be challenges and there will be tests of our faith and we will be tested what seems to, from our perspective, above and beyond anything that we could handle. But God's promise is, I will never tempt you or test you above that which you are able in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but will with the trial Make a way of escape so that you can endure it. That's the promise from God. And I've questioned that promise. I don't know about you. I've said to God, no, you, you clearly have given me more than I can handle this time, the Lord. And he reminds me, you know. I accuse him, but he doesn't get angry with me. He's very patient with us. And he says, no, you, you think it is, but trust me, it's not. Christ followers, well, we battle disease, heartache, we fight addictions. We bury our children, and yes, we face our fears. 
That's the nature of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It's not the absence of storms that set us apart. It's the one that we discover in the midst of the storm. A quiet, undisturbed Christ. That's amazing. <laughs> what was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. And can I tell you something? The Bible brings this out. That was premeditated sleep. He got into that boat, being God, knowing fully well that there was going to be a great storm. And you know what he did? He said, I'm going to get some sleep. <laughs> Premeditated sleep. So the disciples scream. And what does Jesus? Dreams. <laughs> right? The thunder roars. What is Jesus? Jesus snores. <laughs> Come on. You've got to be kidding me. Premeditated slumber. And you know what this premeditated slumber did? Really troubled the disciples. Really upset them. Matthew records it this way, saying, and, and he literally, Matthew just says three words. Lord, save, dying. <laughs> That's how Matthew records it. Lord, save, dying. It, it, it's always good to kind of keep our request to Christ very simple, isn't it? Yeah. My best prayer throughout the years has been one word. Help. God hears that kind of prayer too, by the way. You know, sometimes we think, I've got to dress that up. Oh, gracious Father who abides in eternity, how I come before thy gracious throne and ask thee. No, I just say, help. You, gotta, you know, you dress it up with all kinds of religious words if you want to. I need help and I need it now. I'm in over my head and it's my fault and I did it. Lord, deliver me. And he does. Mark, addressing the same story, he asks a question. And, and this is the question. This is how Mark described it in his gospel. He said, the disciples said, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? That's what they said. Don't you care that we're perishing? Now, I find that interesting because the disciples did not turn to Jesus and say, uh, Jesus, could you quiet this storm? That's not what they asked him. They didn't even come to him, you know, wake him up, you know, quietly. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus. You know, like you'd wake up a small child. Jesus, Jesus loves you. Well, never mind, that won't work. You are Jesus. You know, Jesus, you know, um, do you know there's a storm? Or how about this? Jesus, do you have any experience with storms? <laughs> Did you, did you do any study in meteorology when you were in eternity? But those are not the questions they asked. Listen to this. Do you care? Notice what fear does. Fear causes you and I to raise doubts about the character of God. That's what fear does. That's how fear operates. It causes us to doubt the character of the one who's promised that he'll always be there for us, never leave us or forsake us, and his love will never fail. It causes us to question his character. That's fear at work. That's what it does. It erodes our confidence in God's goodness. It erodes our confidence in God's character. It erodes our confidence in God's grace. It erodes our confidence in God's promises. 
That's what fear does. It also creates a tremendous memory loss, in case you haven't noticed. Disciples had real good reason to trust Jesus, lots of good reasons. They had seen him heal. They had seen him touch lepers and seen those lepers, lepers be cleansed. Peter saw his mother-in-law healed. They witnessed demons scatter like bats out of a dark cave. They saw all of that and more. But now, because fear has found its way into their hearts, they cry out and say, oh, what is it? You, 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 don't, you don't care about us? We don't matter to you anymore? We're not important like we once were? You know, you would think that one of the disciples would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember, he has the power to raise people from the dead. We saw that with Lazarus. Wait a minute. Remember how he just said a word and a man's daughter was healed? Remember that? Remember the lepers? They were all healed. I mean, they could have just recounted so many of the things that Jesus did that would give them utter and complete confidence in his nature and his character and confirm the fact that he is for them, not against them, and he cares like no one cares for them, but they don't even give it a thought. That's how fear operates. Fear creates what? Spiritual amnesia. Don't let that happen, friends. There are more than enough reasons for you and I to fear in 2015, now more than ever before. But you know something? We have the option, and our option is Jesus Christ can make us brave. Our hearts can be filled with courage. And how does courage take place in our lives? And how do we get courage? We, we just let Jesus pour courage into our hearts. That's what encouragement is all about. That's why you assemble the way you do here in Hatboro, Pennsylvania on a Sunday morning and other times as God makes it possible for you. We've got to come together because if people do not come together and hear who God is and what God thinks about them and what his promises are toward them, they are going to be paralyzed by fear. This generation more than any other generation. This is, the, this is why Jesus has kind of waged war against fear. In fact, his most common command in the Bible falls into the fear not category. Imagine that. The Gospels catalog those words in one form or another, whether it's phrases like do not be afraid or have courage, take heart, be of good cheer. And you know how many times? 125 times. You say, is that a lot? Well, the second most common command in the New Testament was to love God and to love others. Eight times. Fear not. Have courage, take heart. 125 times. You know, if quantity is any indicator, then Jesus takes our fears very, very seriously. It's almost as if he knew we would be living in a generation at a time and in an age like the one we're living in today. And as you know, there are what? 366 times in the Bible it says fear not. That's one for every day and one including leap year. God covers it all. I mean, every day we wake up, we should not necessarily turn on the news. We should hear the Spirit of God begin our day by saying, do not fear. 
Because today you're going to be given so many reasons why you should. But Jesus says you don't have to. He's always calling us to courage, isn't he? Matthew chapter 10, verse 31, Jesus said, don't be afraid. You are, you are worth so much more than many sparrows. You know, back in the day, and Jesus walked the earth, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd take a, a farthing, you'd take a penny, and you'd buy two sparrows. One penny to get you two sparrows. Jesus said, you know, and you know what happens? He says, you go back and you buy, you know, you get two pennies, you get five sparrows. In other words, they throw an extra sparrow in there. You get an extra sparrow. Because they didn't matter. What did Jesus say? You are worth so much more than sparrows. Each one of us so unique. You know, when it comes to understanding who you are, in God's eyes, you know what you are? You're, 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 you're the fine china. Too many Christians have a paper plate mentality. What do you do with paper plates? You throw them out. You use them and you throw them away. That's the way Christians see themselves. Oh, I can be used for a little and then I get tossed away. No, no. You do that with your fine china? You throw it away when you're done? No, no. That comes out of that glass case that's in your living room. And you set, you set that up for your special guest. That is expensive. That is valuable. That is important. You will wash it. You will take care of it. You will put it back in the cabinets and the shelves and place it there perfectly because it's valuable. That's how Jesus Christ sees every one of us. He says, don't you fear. I've got you. I've got your back. I've got your front. I've got your sides. I've got your bottom. I've got your top. I've got your whole. I've got you in the palm of my hand. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus said, take courage. Why? Because your sins, they're forgiven. And I'm not going to, you know, reward you according to your sins. I'm not going to pay you back according to your iniquities. I'm not going to deal with you according to your sins. That's been paid for at the cross through, my, through the, the work of my son at Calvary. That work is finished. It's no longer a sin issue. They've been paid for. So don't expect to be rewarded according to your sins or your iniquities. Take courage. Your sins are forgiven. You know, remember this about fear. It doesn't accomplish anything in our lives. Fear doesn't, you know, fear doesn't write poems. It doesn't negotiate peace treaties. It, you know, it doesn't cure a disease. It's never pulled a family out of poverty or a country out of bigotry. It's never saved a marriage or a family or a relationship. Fear doesn't do anything. I love one brother. You know what he did? He used to put his fears in a little box. He was a businessman. He'd put all his fears, he'd write them down, and he'd put them, on a, he'd put them in a box called Wednesday. That was the name of the box, called Wednesday. The box, the little box on the top of his desk said Wednesday. He'd take all his fears throughout the week, put them in his Wednesday box. And then when he'd get to Wednesday, he'd take them out and read them, and he would realize that most of them no longer existed. That's right. When fear comes knocking at the door of your heart, Send faith to open the door, and most of the time you will find that there's nothing there. Didn't we once have a president, Franklin Roosevelt, who said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Don't let fear paralyze you. Don't let fear keep you from moving forward, even in the midst of your most difficult challenges, even in the midst of your seismos-like storms that happen in your life. You know, fear doesn't do any of those things, but courage does. Faith does. Faith saves families. Faith saves a marriage. Faith saves 
uh, a, a church that's floundering and in trouble. Faith saves relationships. Faith saves people. Some fears, you know, by the way, I, I want to just throw this out. Some fears are healthy. A dose of it can keep a child from running into a busy street, you know. If we had children, and you do here, today, you want out in this main drag here, throw the ball out and say, now go get it. No, you wouldn't. It's too dangerous. You got to give them a, a healthy respect of the traffic that's out there, right? Sometimes fear in, in small doses can help us, right? I mean, you know, back in the day, back in the day, I won't tell you how long a day it was, but back in the day, you know, you pick up a pack of those cigarettes and it would say something to the effect like, caution, the Surgeon General has determined that smoking may be, we don't know for sure, but may be hazardous to your health. Now, you know, they're a little bit more graphic. Now they just say, uh, smoke these and you will die, basically is what they're saying now, right? These will kill you. It still doesn't stop people from smoking, but uh, you get the point. I mean, they're tr trying to send a message. They're, trying to ho they're hoping that, and you go to Europe, by the way, in Europe, when you buy cigarettes, they just show you these pictures of contaminated lungs. Right on the carton, right on the cover. Yeah, I know, that's enough. That, that works for me. Not that I am tempted these days. That's way behind me now. Thank you, Jesus. But I mean, you know, it, it just makes sense. But here's the point. You don't have to subject yourself to a position of fear. Don't allow anxiety to dominate and define your life. And in closing this morning, think about what God has promised us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. What does it say? Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a disciplined and a sound mind. Yes, that's what God has given us. Not a spirit of fear. We ought to be able to discern that when that fear comes seeking its entrance into our hearts, we just got to right away, we got to say, that's not of God. That does not come from God. That did not come from the presence of God. That came from another kingdom. That's a kingdom that wants to stop me in my tracks, keep me from moving forward, keep me from taking spiritual land that God has promised to me, keep me from adventuring by faith, Keep me from walking by means of the Spirit. Do not listen to it. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but rather power, love, sound mind. In closing, fear may fill our world, and I think we would all agree it has, but it does not have to fill our hearts. Bravery is an option. It's always going to knock at the door. I highly recommend you don't invite it in for dinner. And then make up a bed in the spare bedroom and say, you're welcome here. Don't do that. We serve a God who can turn a, a typhoon into nap time. That's the God that we serve. Silencing waves with one word. Isn't that amazing? And he handles the great quaking in our lives with a great calming for our souls. Yes, it's a difficult world that we live in. Every day it's becoming a more fearful world that we live in. But for us, bravery is an option. For us, fear does not have to dominate. For us, there is a Savior who stands ready to say, listen, I have made you to become more than conquerors. And I'm always going to cause you to triumph. And fear may be out there, 
But you guard your heart and you keep it from coming into your heart. It doesn't come from me. It comes from another source. Discern that source. And in its place, keep receiving my peace. And in its place, keep receiving more grace. And in its place, keep allowing mercy to reign within your souls. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you this morning. Thank you that we are no longer servants of fear. Thank you that you've given us spirit of power, love, sound mind, and that you always, every single moment of our lives, hold bravery out to us as an option. And this morning, we choose it. We choose it. Keep our hearts from questioning our confidence, creating doubts about who you are, your character, your nature. We know you care. You said the very hairs of our head are numbered, not just counted, but numbered. You said not one of those sparrows falls to the ground without you noticing it. That's how much you care. That's how interested you are in our lives. We thank you for that this morning. If there's anyone here who's never trusted Jesus Christ in a personal way, you've never opened your heart, allowed him to come in, save you, cleanse you of your sin, would you do that this morning? Say, Jesus, come into my heart and live. Take me as your child. Bring me into your family. Give me the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Remove my fears. Replace them with your peace. I'm asking you to save my soul. I want to begin a relationship with you today, one that will last throughout this life and throughout eternity. If you're here this morning and you said that prayer, just put your hand up so I can pray for you. Anyone this morning, thank you so much for those hands. Anyone else, just put it up and put it right back down. Father, thank you for those that have trusted you this morning, believed on you, put their faith in you, and just encourage our hearts today. And thank you, Lord, that, uh, again, we may live in a world full of fear, but that fear in our world does not have to have a place in our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.